0: Well, good morning, everyone. To those who are listening in HMCC Karawachi as well as HMCC Jakarta, welcome and good morning. I will probably say, wow, I am so excited to be here with you all this morning. And just because of our friendship, the number of years I've known many of you, but Jakarta HMCC plays a special part in my heart. It's a role in my heart. I am here recording here in Chicago, Illinois. And for some, I have not seen you guys in over a year. But for the last six years, Jakarta has been a very special place to me. Um, I am the founder, as it was introduced, I am the founder and president of Resource Global. Six years ago, I had a chance to step on your foot of your wonder on uh, the place of your wonderful city in Jakarta. And there I fell in love. I fell in love with the culture. I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the people and all of you guys. Some of you guys that I've gotten to know have become some of my dearest friends. You have become a special family to me, and I am thankful for the things that you have taught me, the things I've gotten the chance to learn from you as well, too. So Pastor Andrew, Nikki, thank you for allowing me to speak to your church today. and I truly, truly consider it a deep honor, and I am humbled by this opportunity. This morning, we're going to talk about the sermon I've titled as Gospel Breakthroughs. We're going to look specifically at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Before we turn and read this story, let me just backtrack a little bit and give you a background on the book of Luke, specifically beginning with 18. In chapter 18, verse 8, it begins and ends in verse 8 with this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And as Luke has done in so many occasions throughout his book, he takes one phrase, he takes one section, and sets it up for subsequent stories and sections throughout the Scripture, throughout the Gospel of Luke. Here he does the same thing. So he uses this phrase, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He uses that as the foundation to give us the lessons in the other stories. So it goes on to the next story, goes to the Pharisee and the tax collector. There Jesus begins to tell a story of the Pharisee and tax collector in which the Pharisee and tax collectors come before and brings their offerings to the temple. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prays this prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But this tax collector, standing far off, would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breath. And he says, God, be merciful to me as a sinner. Which of these will the Son of Man find faith on earth? Next story goes to the children, comes to him. People who are traveling brings their infants to him so that they might touch them. And Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for do such belongs the kingdom God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not bring the kingdom God like a child shall not enter it. Story number three, the rich young ruler. In which this story, and many of you guys are familiar with it. Ruler comes to him and says, teacher, what does it mean for us uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to this ruler, sell everything because you're rich and give to the poor and come and follow me. The ruler couldn't do it because of the riches that he had to sacrifice. It becomes a lesson which Jesus uses that sometimes people with money will have a hard time. That will prevent them from following who Jesus is. Sorry, story then goes to the heels the blind beggar, And now it goes to the story of Zacchaeus that we're going to look at today. Story begins in chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through. To our knowledge, it's the first time and probably the last time he goes to uh, Jericho. Jericho is a port city. It's a wealthy city. And because of that, a lot of people of wealth live in that city. And because of the amount of people with wealth, it probably has a lot of influence in Jerusalem. When, when we think of Israel, I mean, when we think of Jakarta even, there are certain neighborhoods in which the people who are wealthy live in. Those neighborhoods may or may not have certain influences. Here in the city of Chicago, I live right on the south side of Chicago, and this is right near Chinatown. And there are some people who live here. They're not very wealthy. They're a little bit more medium range, middle class. Versus if you go into a neighborhood like a West Loop over here in Chicago. That's where a lot of the young technology folks. That's where a lot of the corporations. McDonald's corporate headquarters is there. A lot of key. Google in Chicago is located here. And so as a result, the, the economy, the influence of that neighborhood rivals some of the neighborhoods that you live in. And so there he walks in Jericho. He fully understands the impact that Jericho has, the influence that Jericho has, and the people who lives in Jericho. So he enters Jericho. He was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector and was very rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on count of the crowd, he could not, because he was what? He was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come and come down, for I what? If you're looking at the ESV, NIV, I must stay at your place. Very important. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received them joyfully. And when they saw the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a sinner, of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For those who are watching at home, kids, for those who are watching, I want you to be able to see another illustration of this passage read. Enjoy and take a listen. Was he really little? He climbed up in a second tree. For the Lord, he wanted to see hello. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down For I go into your house today. Yes, I go into your house today. <laughs> I hope you guys all enjoyed that video. You know, when I was preparing for the sermon, uh, everyone kept sitting there telling me, you got to play the Zacchaeus song. you got to play that Veggie Tale song of Zacchaeus. I didn't know what it was. I had to Google it. So I, I hope that you enjoyed it. As we talk about Jesus and Zacchaeus, there emerges from this story, three central characters to the story. There is the portion of Jesus and looking at things from his point of view. There is the uh, point of view from Zacchaeus and how he's viewing the story. But then you also have the point of view of the people. Three central characters that emerges out of it. And the big question is, What is it that they're seeing, what is it that we're able to understand from their point of view that gives us insight into the passage? Because by understanding their view, uh, understanding their reference point, we will begin to understand the fullness of the story and in light of that begin to understand some of the principles that emerges out of the story. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Take a look at this uh, picture, all right? What do you see here? you see a car accident. And for some of you guys, when you look at this picture, what's the first thing that you see? Are you looking at the police officer to the right and him talking, looks like to be a bunch of witnesses, interviewing on that? Are you looking at the car that got hit and got into the accident and wondering what the point of view from their perspective of the car that got hit Or you see some of those guys in the back, it looks like one taking a big picture. Are you seeing it for some? You're taking a look from the viewpoint of the bystanders, the witnesses, and trying to understand where their viewpoints are. When you begin to look at the stories of Scripture, there emerges different viewpoints. There are characters, and when we begin to read Scripture, your key thing is, what are they seeing? How are they viewing the situation? How are they viewing this uh, story? And what is it that we can begin to learn from them? So as a result of that, here in the story of Z, uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus, we're beginning to see three different things. We're able to see the perspective of the crowd, the crowd that is attractive to Jesus, attracted to Jesus and gathers around him, but soon turns on him. We were able to see the viewpoint of Jesus, the person. It's his last stop before he goes into Jerusalem and he meets this tax collector who is hiding in a tree. What's his view? What is he seeing? What are we seeing? How can we understand from his point of view? And thirdly, we see Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. What is he thinking? What is he feeling? So let's take a look at each of one of those views, all right? So first one, what was the perspective of the people? I would probably say a lot of times the perspective of the people is this. When Jesus first walks into Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, to Jericho, a crowd gathers around him. It is the third year of his ministry. They've heard about him. They've heard about the miracles. They've heard that he's a teacher. They've heard he's the rabbi. Some of them have heard rumors that he's the future God, the son of God, that the Old Testament has predicted, who is going to rescue them from the Roman Empire. They've heard all those stories. It is now in year three of his ministry and his fame, his attraction continues to grow. They want to take a glance of him. They want to be able to see what he can offer to them. They want to be able to see who this Jesus is. And so now they're dealing with it. But when Jesus steps foot into Jericho, remember what Jericho is. It's an influential city. Within that city, there's probably people of influence. And usually when you walk into a city, you want to be able to show honor into the city by making sure that you go to the proper, appropriate people and give honor to some of the key people in the city. And for Jesus, he doesn't do that. And that crowd soon turns on him because it's not that Jesus walks into Jericho with his 12 disciples on his way to Jerusalem and he stops off And talks with the key leader of the city. It's not like he talks to the wealthiest, influential family in the city. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He talks to the very person that these guys despise. The very person who's taking advantage of them. The very person they don't want to deal anything with. He talks to a tax collector. Jesus who they see as the attractive models, Jesus, the crowd gathers around him, turns on him because Jesus does not meet expectations. He does not follow through what they're expecting him to do. He does not do what they want him to do. He does not go to your key people. He does not follow the right, correct pecking order. In fact, actually, he goes to the very person and he invites them in those house and he tells them, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. It becomes the ultimate snap, snap, uh, slap in the face, a sign of disrespect. The home of a sinner. You're going into the home of a sinner. That's what the crowd sees. What about Jesus? When he walks in, what, were we, what do we understand from the point of view of Jesus, right? Jesus walks in. It's now, again, three years of his ministry. Last stop before Jericho. Or last time before Jerusalem, in Jericho, perfectly knows what the city is. It has a reputation by itself. He knows the type of people in there. He knows what's expected of him. He knows that when he meets, if he was to find friends, to really build a network, to really, he needs to find people to show honor toward the people in that city. But he doesn't. He goes outside that, he goes beyond what's expected of him he goes to the very person that they would never expect him to meet he inserts himself into that person's life he calls him by name he invites him to his house and in the process he sends a message to the people that in one of his loudest actions then he says to the tax collector I believe in you. I know what you've done. I know how you've gotten rich of all these people. I know where you've gotten your money. I know that. I know your past. But I want to stay at your house and I want to invite myself into your life. He sends a message to those people that are watching, the crowd watching, who is expecting, wondering what he is doing. And his message is this. It is not a matter of how spiritual you are and what your reputation is, what your position in the city is. I'm not going to follow protocol, but I do look at the heart. And when I look at the heart, I'm going to look past what you've done because yes, that's important to me, but all of us can be redeemed. And if you have the right heart, if your heart is in the best position. It doesn't matter what you've done and where you have. I call you by name because it is that grace that I give you. Ultimately, will save you because all of us are imperfect. Zacchaeus had to understand that. The people had to understand that. The people lost sight of that. That crowd began to, to turn on him. And for Zacchaeus, how is he viewing the situation? We read the story. What do we know about Zacchaeus? There was a man named Zacchaeus. We know that he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just an ordinary tax collector. He had a whole bunch of different tax collectors under him, and he was making money off of them, and he was rich. We don't know if he was married or he was single, whatever it is. The only other information that we have of him is that he was small in stature. Another thing about Zacchaeus that I found very ironic and funny, if if he was that rich, why wasn't he with a group of people that surrounded him, helpers, bodyguards, an entourage? Why didn't that entourage make a pathway for him to see and meet Jesus? If he was that rich, couldn't he buy it? For some reason or another, no matter how rich he was, he was not in that position. Did people not want to work for him? I don't know. We just know that his reputation was bad. His main living was making money off of this people. And the key term that you would use is, many of you have heard it, opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is that you choose one thing at the expense of other. Let me give you an example. Is that sometimes in life, we have the opportunity to choose a higher paying job, a better position. But what's the opportunity cost is that We may not have time with our family. We may not see our family. Or at the same time, we may have to travel often, all the time. That's the opportunity cost. You gain this position. You gain more higher salary, more money from this position. What's the opportunity cost? You lose track of your family. You're not able to spend enough time with your family. Do all these different things. In life, we all have opportunity cost. Zacchaeus was in the midst of this opportunity cost. Zacchaeus the money the wealth being the chief tax collector was so important to him he was willing to risk his reputation he was willing to risk friendships and how people perceive him all of that and that lasted probably for a period of time that was what he chose but eventually it wore off eventually the money may have died the attractiveness of the money may have died And he's looking for something different. And when Jesus comes, he becomes what Zacchaeus is looking for. And Zacchaeus has to see him. Zacchaeus is willing to climb up a tree to take a glimpse of him. Jesus is able to meet a need that Zacchaeus is looking for that he probably didn't have. And so suddenly these three emerges all in one story. You are the perception of Zacchaeus, the wealthy people, the wealthy person who has a bad reputation in the city, but yet at the same time has a need that he has to see Jesus. You have Jesus, the star of the soul. Maybe Zacchaeus is a close second, but you have Jesus, the prominent individual who comes into a city First time, last time ever walking into a city. But in some sense, he actually doesn't follow protocol, doesn't follow what they're expecting him to do. And in some sense, he's going over to Zacchaeus, inviting him into his house because he must stay at his house. But you have the crowd who suddenly is amazed that this Jesus is now in our city, but suddenly turns on him, because he doesn't do what they're expecting him to do. Instead of going to meet the key influencers, the key leaders of their city, he meets who? He meets Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, the sinner, the the guy who has betrayed us. That's who he meets. So suddenly all three perspectives give us a glimpse of what the story is. And out of these perspectives emerges what I would call four principles or gospel breakthroughs to help us to understand our story, to understand this story a little bit better. Four gospel breakthroughs emerges as we begin to understand the stories that I'm going to talk with today. And we're going to talk through all these things, and then from that point on, we're going to wrap up, okay? First gospel breakthrough. You have to be able to see the authenticity of Jesus. One of the perspectives is we begin to understand the story. One of the principles, one of the gospel breakthroughs that come from the story is this first one. You have to be able to see the authenticity of Jesus. You have to see him as the person more beyond the person who will answer my prayers and give me whatever I want. And maybe a lot of times, as you, for those who are brand new, maybe you came to know the faith or maybe you came to know a church because you heard about this Jesus that can answer your prayers. That if we follow him, he'll give us what we want. It's beyond that. That in order for us to be genuine Christ followers, for those of us who understand what it means to be Christians, you have to see the authenticity, the authenticity and the truth that emerges out of Jesus Christ. You have to be able to understand who Jesus is, the truth that he brings. Let me give you an example of that. Many of you guys know that three years ago, I struggled with cancer. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I ended up losing most of my saliva, most of my taste buds, most of my tears, and even most of my hearing in both my ears. Even as I'm speaking to you guys this morning, I've lost, I'm probably at about 30% hearing in this ear. This ear is going bad. And so as a result, I actually can't hear anything as I'm speaking to you in this ear today. As I'm talking with you, I hear echoes in my head. That's the deal. That's why I had to deal with cancer and chemo. But during the cancer and chemo treatment, the doctor says, you're going to be in pain for eight weeks and that pain will not stop. And it was right. By week three of my chemo radiation, I lost my taste buds. That soon meant after that, the radiation and the chemo started destroying everything inside my mouth, inside my nose, and pretty soon on the outside of my skin. It was devastating. And that pain was intense. And that pain didn't stop. But it was during that period of time I learned what it meant to see the authenticity of who Jesus was. It was during that period of time, I had to learn what it meant to follow Jesus. That Jesus, irregardless of everything, it was not fun. And if you allow your heart to get into it, you could have become bitter. But you had, to, I had to learn to allow myself to understand the truths of scripture, to understand the authentic truths of scripture that Jesus brought, And I had to cling upon those truths. And I had to allow it to give me strength. I had to allow it to guide me every step of the way. That in our journey, folks, you will have to begin to see Jesus as this attractive model, as this perceived being that answers your prayers and gives you whatever you want. And you're going to have to begin to see the authentic Jesus who gives you grace who expects you to live out character, who does what is right to live with humility and brokenness, to love and give yourself, you're going to have to be able to see the authentic Jesus and what he means and calls you to him. Number two, you're going to have to be willing to climb up a tree. And when in the midst of climbing up a tree, you're going to have to look ridiculous in doing it, all right? So when Jesus, when Zacchaeus sees Jesus, all right, there is something about Jesus where he has to see him. And so what's he willing to do? Scripture tells us he's small in nature. And so he is small in stature. And so he has to be able to climb up this tree and in the process look ridiculous in climbing up that tree. That in the midst, and what this means for us, in the midst of following Jesus at times, you're going to have to do things that people won't understand. You're going to have to follow Jesus in ways that people will not be able to relate to Because in life, there are certain expectations when it comes to career, when it comes to goals, when it comes to family. Maybe it's goals that we have of ourselves. Maybe it's the goals that society has of. Maybe it's goals that your parents or your significant others. And when in the course of following Jesus, you're going to do things that people may not understand. And you're going to have to look ridiculous at times in doing it. And for Zacchaeus... He clearly looked ridiculous in climbing up a tree to seeing Jesus. For you, you may have to make decisions with how you live your life. You may have to uh, make decisions in what you do and don't do at work. The decisions that you make and how you're going to live, sometimes even turning away money so that you could really be able to spend more time with your family. And all those things is because God convicts you, but it's not going to make sense to a lot of people looking from the outside in. You're going to have to follow and be willing to climb up a tree. You're going to have to be able to see the authenticity of Jesus. What's the third one? You're going to have to be able to look past the crowd. And that for me is the hardest one. That in the midst of climbing up that tree, you're going to have to see past a crowd of criticizers. You're going to have to see the crowd that leads you on the dark path that reflects the name of Jesus. You're going to have to see past those guys, and you're going to have to see Jesus in the midst of all these things. Here in the U.S., the latest numbers are: back in the 1970s and early 80s, about 73, 75 percent of all people living in the United States were Christian believers. In the 80s and 90s, that number dropped down to 50, but it's still a pretty good number. 50% of all the people living in the U.S. profess themselves as Christians. What now is the percentage in the most recent numbers? 35%. That number continues to keep dropping. What is the primary way, reason why this number keeps dropping? People are frustrated because they say that watching other Christians causes them not to be a Christian anymore. That sometimes as Christ followers, we're going to look and have to deal and see things that we don't like. We're going to have to deal with people that give us, give Christ a bad name. That for Zacchaeus, when he looked past Jesus, he had to deal with the criticism of all the crowd looking at him and judging him as a tax collector. Who is that Jesus speaking to him? Who is that Jesus spending time with them? For you, you're going to have to look past the crowd. You're going to have to look past the guys who does things that you don't agree with in the name that they're calling themselves Christians. You're going to look at people who are judgmental. You're going to have to look at people who do things that you disagree with, and you're going to have to learn to look past those guys and not allow it to cause you to fail. Resource Global, we've... uh, I've gotten a chance to work now in ministry for about 15 years, 15, 20 years. And I will say I've been far more disappointed by what I've seen amongst Christ followers than anything else. I am very surprised that some of the pastors or ministry leaders or Christian marketplace leaders who I have met, the guys who I read books about, the guys I read books from, the CDs or back in the days, the cassettes, or even now the podcasts I listen to, that when I finally get a chance to meet them, they are not what I ever thought they were. That their message and how they live their life do not match. I'm surprised by that. I tell all the people who come and work for me at Resource Global or different other groups is that when you start going into ministry and you start being involved in ministry, you are going to become disenchanted by what you see. So be prepared for this. Sometimes we're going to look past the crowd and you're going to have to see beyond that to see the authentic Jesus and for who he is. Gospel breakthrough number one, you have to be able to see the authenticity of Jesus. Gospel breakthrough number three, you have to be willing to climb up the tree and look ridiculous in doing it because sometimes people may not be able to relate what you're doing or understand what you're doing. Gospel breakthrough number three, you're going to have to look past the crowd and see Jesus in the midst of all of that because sometimes a crowd will cause you to fall, will cause you to stray. And number four, you will have to let Jesus into your house. You're going to have to let Jesus into your mess. You're going to have to allow, invite Jesus to come into aspects of your house that you don't want people to see. You're going to have to invite Jesus into your house. When Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come into my house, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. He's inserting himself into the house so that he can make changes into the life of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had to be open to allowing him to take that risk and allowing him to come and insert himself into his life. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to let Jesus into your life. And some of us who are sitting here right now, doesn't matter if you're in Chicago or you're here in Jakarta, you're not willing to do that that there are certain rooms in your life that you don't want Jesus to be part of, or there are certain messes in your life that you don't want Jesus to see. You're going to have to learn to allow him into your life, and you're going to have to allow him to see the good, but also the bad, and you're going to have to allow him to have aspects of life that you don't want to let go. You're going to have to allow him into your life. You're going to have to be able to see past the crowd. You're going to have to be able to learn to climb a tree and look ridiculous in doing it. And you're going to have to be able to see the authenticity of Jesus and hear the truths of Jesus that you may not want to hear, that may be uncomfortable for you to want to hear. Four gospel breakthroughs that impacts your life, that emerges from the scripture in which Jesus wants to be part of your life. And lastly, and the one thing I would say about this, did you notice that at the end of the story, he goes on his way to Jerusalem? And what doesn't he do? He doesn't call him to leave his job, but rather instead he calls him to stay at his job as the chief tax collector and stay in Jericho. That's very contrasting to a Matthew who is a regular tax collector in which Jesus has to impact everything and follow him. It's direct contrast to Peter, James, Simon, Andrew, in which Jesus says, I want you to be fishers of men with me. I want you to fish men to leave your job, to leave your family and come and follow me. But for him, his journey is different. Zacchaeus, I want you to stay here. I want you to be the chief tax doctor. I want you to continue to do the right thing. I want you to stay at your job because that's where I'm calling you. That in the midst of me inserting myself into your life and working in your life, I'm going to ask you to stay in this job. I will ask you to stay in this city. I'm going to ask you to make a difference in your city. That all of us who are sitting here this morning, whether you're in Karawachi or whether you're in Jakarta, God calls you on a different journey. And in that midst of that journey, he wants you to see the authentic Jesus. He wants you to see the true form of who Jesus is and allow him to see that into your life. He wants you and calling you at times to climb up a tree. And, in the, and take a risk. In the midst of climbing up a tree, you're going to look ridiculous in doing it. And he says, in the midst of all that, I want you to continue to focus your eyes on me. Because when you start working with other Christ followers, they're going to detract you. They're going to frustrate you. They're going to annoy you. They're going to cause you to fail. You're going to have to look past the crowd. And I, you're going to have to let me into your life. And you're going to have to allow me to make changes in your life. And you're going to have to allow me in the rooms that you don't want anyone to touch. You're going to have to invite me to the messy rooms in life. Not just the good rooms. You're going to have to allow me to be in all aspects of your life. And when he does that, he has a unique calling in your life. And for Zacchaeus, that calling was to stay in your city. To make a difference in your city. To stay in the business and to make a difference in that business. What's he calling you to do? What journey are you in? What stage, as we look through these gospel principles, are you at? What is preventing you from following him? Are you having a hard time letting him into your life because there are certain rooms that are just messy? Are you having a hard time letting him in your life because there are certain things that you just don't want him to be a part of, certain rooms that you don't want to go into? Are you having a hard time following Jesus because there are certain Christians that you hear of that's causing you to fail, that's causing you to want to walk away because of what they've said, what they've done, how they've led their life. Is that what's causing you to walk away? Is he calling you to climb a tree and you're you're prevented from doing that because it doesn't It doesn't make sense. It makes me look ridiculous. It's not what I'm expected to do, what society tells me to do. It goes against what I've always imagined. Is that what's causing you? Are you having a hard time seeing the authenticity of Christ? That when I accepted Christ, when I joined the church, I thought he was going to answer my prayers. He's causing me to ask to make it others first. He's causing me what it means to be humble. What? He's not answering my prayers. All these things I'm having to learn. What does it mean to love and see the authenticity of Christ? Not only for you, but for your loved ones, with your work and your family. We're all in this together, folks. We've known each other. For many of us, and for you, I hope to be with all of you guys soon. We've known each other for many years now. I wish I could be there in person and say it to you directly. God has a plan in your life. We don't know what that plan is. It is a process. It is a journey. But there is a unique calling. He has a unique story that he has. Within the many chapters in your life, there is a unique story in your life. What is him preventing you from finishing up that story? What is preventing you from allowing God to work in your life? For some of you guys, I know you are highly successful in your work. I've learned so much from you and what you do. But how are you being a steward of what God has given you and the calling that He has for you? What is preventing you from doing that? To allowing God to work in your life. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful people. Thank you for many of them who I call friends. Thank you for many of them I have called family who I love dearly and love very, very much. I pray for these two churches. I pray for the people. I pray for the younger ones. I pray for those who are newly married. I pray for those who are parents or newly parents. Steward those well. Allow them to come and see you. Allow them to see the authentic you. Allow them to hear your calling. Allow them to have the strength and the grace to see beyond the crowds and see you, dear Father. Allow them to really be able to sense your goodness to invite you into their life, to allow them to be involved in all rooms, all aspects in their life. Give them strength, dear Lord. Allow them to continue to really be able to follow after you. Thank you, dear Father for the presence of their life in my uh, for the presence of their friendship in my life. And we pray for each one of them. We pray for the church and we pray for the city. And we lift all these things up to you, Christ, we pray. Amen.